the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the lake of fire, the second death. These are images that flooded my adolescent mind alongside real-life stories of pastors in Soviet prisons and mental institutions. This was all alongside the ever-present possibility of a nuclear holocaust. Fast forward to today, we have Russian hackers, disinformation campaigns, fake news, conspiracy theories, and to top it all, a global pandemic. Surely, the stage is set. I'm Paul White, and this is Apocalypse, the Book of Revelation. Join me and my special guest and friend Pete Milner as we explore what God might be saying through this incredible book to us today. Hi everyone, and welcome once again to my sauntering podcast, where we're looking at the monumental book of Revelation, and I'm joined once again by my friend Pete Milner. And Hi everybody. We have been having a great time, haven't we, Pete? We sure have. Let's just pray and ask God to get us in the right frame of mind. Lord Jesus, we want this to be about you, not us. We want you to be the one who all heaven and earth adores. And we want to be right there in the front row adoring you, even now, in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Amen. So we're on chapter three, Pete. Yep. And we're looking at the um, letters to the seven churches. Yeah, so we've got three left. And um, again, I'd say we'll resist the temptation to try and think that each one is some sort of era of the church yep. or era of grace. But we're looking at the lessons and thinking them as, we'll think of them as being like constantly available lessons. You know, Brilliant. you'll find yourself in some situations like this. And sometimes you'll identify more with one than the other. But remember that all of these such letters are written for all of our good for all the time so be liberated to look at them and think that's happening whoa repent very good okay so here we go i'll read chapter 3 verse 1 and to the angel of the church in sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of god and the seven stars i know your works you have the reputation of being alive but you are dead Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh gosh, you remember the first <laughs> time we read the um, the one to Ephesus yeah. in the, in the previous session? And it was like, you're doing well, you're doing well, you're doing well, but... But... 
I've got this against you. Yeah. Here it's like, you're doing terribly, you're doing terribly, you're doing terribly, but there's still a few of you who are doing there's okay. A couple of redeeming Complete features. Complete reversal, yeah. isn't it? Yes, it's a tough one, isn't it? Mm. So, I mean, what a what an indictment. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. How... A s- <laughs> It's caustic, isn't it? It's it, it burns boy, as it goes oh in, boy. like medicine, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's very, it's obviously very painful for the people of Sardis to receive this rebuke. Yeah. Because it's not just from John, it's not just from the apostles, it's from Jesus. And he's saying, look, you think you've got everyone fooled, but you haven't got me fooled. Mm. And you can't just do an impression of a righteous life, wow. but then actually still be corroded on the inside. You need to live it all the way through. Yeah. So um, just before we get, get too caught up with the details of the church, what do you make of this opening statement here? Mm-hmm. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God. What do you understand by the seven spirits of God? I understand the seven spirits of God not as a potential challenge to the idea that there is one Holy Spirit mm-hmm. of God, yep. part of the Trinity, yep. you know, t- triune, equal with God and, and yep. Jesus, but... That this is another example of how Jesus uses these symbols of stars, spirits, lampstands, angels. Each church has one. And so what he's saying is, I'm the guy who has the seven lampstands with seven messengers and seven angels, seven spirits, seven stars. um, And all of them represent the kind of essence of the church in that place. So you think this relates to the church rather than to the sevenfold spirit of God? I think that the, the idea that... I think the idea that this is the Holy Spirit is mistaken. Yeah. Okay. I think that we should see the single Holy Spirit of God with a personality and an identity and a place within the Trinity mm-hmm. as something categorically distinct from whatever this means. I think that the fact that there's seven, he does it at the beginning of one of the other letters too. Um, he does it to um, oh, the seven stars. He mentioned it before anyway. Yeah. Um, the point is that Yes, I think this is another way of saying this is the spiritual essence of the church. Mm. And this is a star that's about to go out. You know, this is a, a lampstand that's about to be extinguished. This is a community which is all but lost the true identity of a worshipful community of church in Sardis. Mm. Which is really tough because he says, look, you got to wake up. You're about to be dead. You know, yeah. you're lying on the train tracks and the train is coming. And I love what he says because it's a challenge to... The 21st century church is a challenge to me because we live in a time where people talk about renewal and moving forward and, you know, stepping up as being something that goes continuously progressively. Yeah. Right. That everything is moving forward and you can't go back. You have to go forward. But here and in the previous letter, actually, the one we read last session about Thyatira, he's quite literally saying, go back. Yeah. In the same way Isaiah says, you know, look to Abraham, the rock Mm -hmm. from which you were cut. Do the stuff you did at first. That was the good bit. You don't have to kind of reinvent it all the time. You can just keep faithfully working at it yeah. and, and establish yourself on the rock. And you don't have to keep on making it up because you're more likely to get it wrong, probably, if you need the, feel the need to kind of continuously reinvent. Hmm. Wow. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because he says, I've not found your works complete. In the sight of my God. And the word there for completed is the same kind of sense in which 
we will all become mature, attaining to the fullness of the measure of Christ. Yeah. Is that pleroma or pleru or whatever the word is there in Greek uh, that's mm. to do with fullness, yeah. completion, finishedness. Yeah, but, filled up all the way to the top. Yeah, but somehow they're not. Mm. They, in fact, far from it. Oh, well, I tell you what, personally, and I think I recognise this about myself, I don't know if you recognise this about yourself, but I feel like I'm a pretty good starter. Like, out of the blocks, mm-hmm. I can go fast, I can go hard, I can do You're things. You're a sprinter, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And equally, I think when the end is near, I, I can get a bit of a second win and finish the job pretty mm-hmm. well. Yeah. But there is a long middle. There is a long I can middle, piece. lose interest yep. and get a bit spiritually lazy and uh, sort of think, oh, nothing's really changing day to day. I'm just a bit bored and a bit tired and a bit fed yeah. up. And I think that this is the character of, of um, Sardis in that way. It's like you started well, good job, but you sort of rested too long before you were finished. That's why it's mm. not complete yet. Yeah. You know, and the end is going to come and you're going to think you're still in the middle. It's very interesting because there's been this constant and ongoing kind of backwards and forwards argument between the people who within the Christian church who would say it's just our faith that's important Mm -hmm. and then you'd have the others who would say yeah but what does our faith do yes what are we (laughs) actually producing as a result of this faith and like james would say you say you have faith but i'll show you my faith by what i do Mm -hmm. and it's this sense that actually our works our actual output and the product of our lives is a product of our faith as well but it actually is a measurable thing that God's looking for when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Well, that will be presumably evidenced by, yeah, by what how we're done. living. Yeah. And it's, it's what we have done again that he'll judge. And mm. it's the same as what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 about the false prophets. He says, you know, they look like sheep, but they're inwardly ravenous wolves and you will know them by their fruit. Good one. Ten points to your point. <laughs> yeah, it's the fruit. It's the yeah. outworking. It's the yeah. product of our life. And and you can usually tell pretty well hmm. that a good tree is producing good fruit and a rotten old tree and a nasty plant is producing no good fruit at all. You know, we yeah. have to make those distinctions and, yeah. and be that strict. But then he picks out these few people who he knows by name. It's interesting there. Are, you have a few names. Mm. It's like, I know them. Yeah. <laughs> they sure know me. You, yeah, I'm sure you can see them as well because they're the ones wearing white clothes. Mm. And uh, he says, I'm going to confess them before my their name before my father and mm. before his angels. And it's so interesting because Jesus says that, doesn't he? If you don't confess me before men then I won't confess you before my father and his angels. And so you wonder whether there's some aspect of their public testimony, Mm. their public evidence of their faith and how they're talking, how they're living, that's fallen short. Yeah. In fact, they've become invisible. Yes. Melted into the background, kind of. And it's a bit like what we were saying about Roman prisons before, wasn't it? It's like what what Jesus wants is a a good confession, you know, Mm. a public, clear... Don't be ashamed of me. Don't keep me a secret. Don't keep me hidden away in the back. Let me be at the forefront and I'll give you the words to say. You know, right. I'll help you in the time of trial. But if you just tuck me away in the back and think you're just the Jesus, you're just a golden ticket in my pocket. Yeah. Then I can't do anything with you. What I can't shame. help. Yeah. So verse seven. Mm. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David 
who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. That is pretty good, isn't it? (laughs) Verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, them again, Mm -hmm. who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem that which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Wow. We, so having felt like it started with Ephesus going well, and it sort of gradually got worse and worse and worse. This is a bit of a uptick, isn't yes, it? Philadelphia. They're looking doing much well. better. Yeah. And the specific claims he has, are familiar ones by now to us. We've read a lot of these. We're on number six of seven, aren't we? So it's about patient endurance. It's about getting rid of the synagogue of Satan. It's about keeping your hands clean and making sure that you're holding on to what you have. But there's a wonderful new angle here where he talks about being made into a pillar in the temple of my Mm. God, which chimes with a lot of the things the apostles taught about how we don't need a temple on the world anymore because the presence of God that lived in the temple and that's where God was located. Now we're the temple, right. you know, the spirit of God dwells in us. And so we are kind of being built into one big temple that houses the spirit of God in the world in a real geographic location. Mm. You know, for you and me, we too are gathered in the name of Jesus in this room. And so We're part of the temple right here. And so the spirit of God is right here. The reign of Jesus is right here. And we take that with us wherever we go. And he says, look, I'm building you into this. I build the church. I'm the one that, um, you know, perpetrates this on the world. It's it's incredible, isn't it? Mm. It's a a really interesting one, isn't it? When he starts off and he says, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of of David. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand we were talking about he has the keys of death and Hades. Yeah. But he has the key of David and who opens and no one will shut who shuts and no one opens. And so that that kind of rings lots of bells for me because mm. I think would well, David what key did he have? In some ways he had an understanding of God that was before his time but he also had a kind of access into intimacy with God Mm -hmm. through worship yes particularly musical sung worship Mm. which he seems to innovate massively yeah and he and he kind of enculturates doesn't he He sort of builds a culture yes he really does and he builds an environment of prayer and praise and 
sort of brings all that into the world in a and, way that... And God seems to be super happy with yeah. that. And actually turns up in the most incredible way to mm. Solomon's temple when they dedicate it with his yeah. glory and everyone's annihilated. No one can stand up and finish what they're trying to do <laughs> because he's come yeah. and it's just so amazing. It blows them apart, sure. Um, but there was a key, <coughs> wasn't there, that David understood Yes. to access the sort of mysteries of God. And David becomes, as we now know, an, an incredible prophet. Yeah. Who... So a lot of his psalms are incredibly prophetic mm. and and see things that are so particular about Jesus. Yeah, and they're so profound and, and specific that when the the guys who are there see it, they're like, oh my goodness, this is that very thing that David wrote about. Yeah. This is that very thing that, that he felt all the way back then a thousand yeah. years before. And described in quite in, accurate detail. Incredible detail yeah. in some places, for sure. I think it also evokes that um, key claim of Jesus, that he is the rightful and permanent yeah. and only king of Israel. The successor of David. Yeah. I mean, this is what Daniel saw, because mm -hmm. in the time of the exile, which is sort of 600 or so years previous to this letter, mm -hmm. Um, in the time of the exile, all the kings of, of Israel had sort of come to an end. And the only, <clears throat> excuse me, their only royal descendants were quite minor figures in the mix. And, you know, they go through this long process of kind of trying to find a candidate who can sit on David's throne and be the king and sort of restore the kingdom. And that's the hope of the people in the Persian period and in the Greek period and in the Roman period. It's like, will you finally restore the kingdom? And right. Kind of someone come along with the key of David to open the palace back up and be the king again, please. And Daniel prophesied that after all the empires, there would come a rock cut not from the yes, hands of humans, but which would come and smash the feet of the statue of the nations mm. and grow and swell and fill the whole earth. Mm. And that rock is Jesus. And he's saying, look, I'm the fulfillment of the royal line of David. I'm mm. the one that shall then be the king forever. I'll be Amazing. the permanent thing. I'll make that promise come true, which I said to David, that he would never lack a, a descendant to sit on the throne mm. of God in Israel. And it's like, Jesus is like, I'm that guy. I have that king. I am I, he. I sit on the throne. I've yep. done all of it. And here I am. And there's <laughs> this, this sense, I mean, we see in chapter four precisely the thing that is being talked about yeah. now where in verse 8 he says i know your works and behold i've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut yeah so there's something very final about jesus opening something or closing something but mm. it's this open door i suppose we don't really know what it is in relation to the church in philadelphia but in sure. chapter four we see it's an opening up of insight and revelation yeah. and access to god but of course jesus does precisely that when he when he says it's finished on the cross and the yeah. big veil between the holiest place and is torn, is torn yeah. and it's like he's opened something there's no way we're shutting that yeah that's open there's here. no going back now this is yeah. the way in which we can get to god is through this person and this work that has been done by the son of david mm. by the son of god and you're right to say that there's a kind of permanent significance to the opening of the door and it being like, right, everyone is ready, in you come. Mm -hmm. And yet, and there's another sense in which a lot of people are quite comforted by this 
um, in a sort of experienced and personal way, aren't they? You know, people talk about, you know, I, I don't know what to do about my new job. I don't know what to do about my family. I don't know what to do about my life. And, you know, what they pray is, God, if, if you want me to get involved with this, will you please keep the door open in a way that I can feel? Yeah. And if you, this isn't part of your plan for my life, will you just close the door at this point so that I don't sort of walk down the wrong track for yeah. ages? And I think that using that kind of language in that way is helpful and fair yeah. enough because sometimes God does do that. I've experienced yeah. that. Yeah. And sometimes you think, oh, this will never happen. And then suddenly, wow, it's like nothing in my way. Another time you think this must be it, and it's like blam, door shut. And you have the the time when the apostle Paul wants to go into Asia. Yep. And he can't. He can't yep. get in there. It's like the Holy Spirit won't let him. Yep. And then he, in by means of a dream, God speaks to him, and he ends up in Europe. Yeah. Goes into Macedonia, doesn't he? Yeah. And then we have this other time where he says. The Lord has opened a great and effectual door for me. <laughs> and it's like, I'm going, I'm so busy now. I don't know what to do with myself because yeah. God has given me this great harvest field to go yeah. out and work for him in. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I I think it's got sort of loads of... Loads of layers to it, yeah, hasn't it? Yeah, really good. But so he's saying again about the synagogue of Satan. Mm -hmm. He's saying, actually, he's going to make them these people who are not what they say they are coming yeah acknowledge the true believers really that's right and it, again you've got that sort of difficult tension between wait do we worship people or not because <laughs> they're going to come down and prostrate themselves in front of these yeah. christians and it's like well if if it was me i'd be like don't do that yeah. you mustn't worship no, me okay. I'm, I'm just a servant <laughs> like you but um you know there is a, a sliding scale of praise and glory isn't there you know mm. i praise my son when he does yeah. well and i yeah. I, I encourage and i you know, I even make vows to people here on earth, but I draw a hard line at true worship for which God of alone course. is worthy. Yeah. And it's like, it is a sliding scale. It's Sometimes more about uncomfortable, honouring but... you, isn't it? Yeah. In this case, I think they're yeah. going to come and bow down before you at your feet. Yeah. Like, they're going to honour you. Yeah. Or even be submitted to you. I think that yeah. might be it. You yeah. Know, think of a king that... in the olden days and yeah. it's like people would pledge allegiance and be like, you were right all along. Yeah. You win. Um, let me carry your Let bow. me join your side. Yeah. <laughs> And then he says, um, this hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Mm -hmm. Again, interesting because, you know, when we, I guess they knew of the games where they'd race and you'd win a crown yeah. of laurel leaves and you could lose that crown next time round, I guess. Yeah. Next time there's a race, someone might seize it. But it, I, there is also this sense that the enemy is out there trying to steal the good stuff we have mm -hmm. and... And, and kind of make us lose whatever gains we may have made yeah. in spiritual riches and following Jesus. And mm. and I mean, here's a question. Let me ask you. Um, some Christians say that eternal life and closeness with Jesus, that is the reward. Mm -hmm. There's one crown, one eternal life, yeah. one salvation, and it's that, and there's no other extras. <laughs> other Christians say... No, no, A, we are judged by our works. And so even if we do have the promise of eternal life, there's still a reckoning, there's still a kind of a judgment of works. Yeah. But on the other hand, there's also a reward for works. Mm -hmm. And maybe it will be that as we enter eternity, some of us will be distinctly crowned with magnificent crowns that testify for all, the, all time in favour of, of the life we lived. And others of us will be going around crownless 
Um, a bit like how the Apostle Paul says, you know, um, a bit like someone escaping through the flames. Yeah. It's like, wow, I made it, but only just. Whereas you made it, wow, like you did such a lot of good. And um, that will have a like everlasting sort of recognition in heaven. What do you think about that? Is it sort of everybody gets the same thing or are you I, more in favour of... I find it quite difficult because I think to actually have the idea that somebody in that beautiful place is feeling remorse over what they could have... You could have won this kind of thing. I yeah. just find that really hard. But at the same time, it's very difficult to escape mm. from the concept of reward, specific reward for faithfulness. For specific and deeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I I come and go on it a bit, Pete, to oh, be honest. <laughs> I'm afraid I do too. There's this wonderful bit. I think it's 1 Corinthians 3, which if you're listening, read that and let me know what you think in the comments because Paul describes the building of the church as the apostles. Um, you know, they've got the foundation, which is Christ. There's no other foundation than that. But then you build on it and you're a bit like the three little pigs. You know, Some of yes. them are building with straw, some of them are building with sticks, and some of them are building with very precious things that will last. Mm -hmm. And then it's all tested with fire. Wow. And then the smoke, the smoke clears and the straw and the wood is burned up. But the precious yeah. stones, the things of purity, those will last forever. I think it's, it's something about what we consider to be valuable is going to be either shown to be absolutely dead spot on mm. accurate yeah you value the same things as me says the lord yeah. or you're going to be like god's going to just look at our faces as we look at our life work in, <laughs> in ashes and kind of anyway come on in anyway i think come so. and have some food i do think so and, yeah. and for me it's like what does it mean to lay up treasure in heaven oh my what yeah. does it mean it, it must mean something other than simply say yes to me yeah it must mean yeah. deeds work out you know make make it go the whole way through the the batch you know get Come the on. yeast working through so that you're completely full but it's hard to draw a hard doctrinal yes. line there isn't it but i'm sure people will want to comment about that it yeah i'd love great. to hear it um so then he just gives us this little um kind of taster doesn't he mm -hmm. about the new jerusalem yep which this... apparently according to galatians is our mother yep so <laughs> this is this is not an earthly city no nope. it's something that comes down from god out of heaven and it has his name on it and uh it's his bride and it's a city and it's all kinds of things yeah it's a heavenly reality mm -hmm. which is becoming increasingly true on the earth. That's P.E.'s private interpretation. So there is a heavenly rule of God and reign of Christ where the fullness of all the years is perfectly completely revealed. And there is a assembly in there where mm. they constantly just can't think of anything better to do than to revel in it and call out praises. That reality is descending on the earth. Lovely. And I think we should understand that to mean that the, the kingdom of God is being established in the world where that same reign and those same praises and that same perfect alignment of people with God is becoming increasingly true. Mm. It's not like it's geographic in the sense that it's true over here, but not yeah. over there. But it's like it's true everywhere where people will call on the name of God. You know, Everywhere people will yeah. say, 
As for me and my house will serve the Lord. And as far as it's with me personally, I will be part of that kingdom. Mm. I think that's how we sort of see the new Jerusalem represented in the world. And I think that's the picture. So that's it's amazing. becoming increasingly true. Yeah. So we're going to have some more to say about that mm. as we go on through this incredible book. But we're going to just zip zip over to Laodicea for a Whoa. second. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, which means let it be, or so be it, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. <laughs> ah. Oh no! Oh no, was Jesus created? <laughs> Were the Arians right? Just say something about that then, Pete, before we move on. I think it's right. The, the apostles continually use terms like he's the firstborn first of all creation. Yeah. Most of them are more comfortable with saying that he's the, the preeminent mm-hmm. of all creation rather than the first of all creation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this troubling little chapter of, about wisdom in Proverbs yeah. 8 where he says, you know, I'm wisdom. I was brought forth the first of God's acts. Yeah. And... In a way, what we're recognising is the spiritual heavenly reality where God literally brought forth Christ. Mm -hmm. And there's no getting around it. Even if you say he is, um, you know, pre-creation, you know, that he is not a created being. He's not made in the same way that us and the universe are made. Even if he is entirely God and consubstantial with God, even if you affirm all um, the kind of important truths about Jesus, it's still that God brought him forth, that he begat Jesus, mm-hmm. that he um, brought him into the into the kind of heavenly reality and then into the earthly reality. And so you can't get a- away from that, I think. But it's wrong to bank that and say, Jesus is a created being. Yeah. What, what uh, my understanding of it may be a little bit limited as well, I accept that, but is that Father, Son, Holy Spirit are God. That's mm-hmm. who God is. Yep. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But in the fullness of time, mm-hmm. he sent his son to be born as born from a woman. Yeah. And so born of a woman. And so we have this thing where the Messiah, the anointed one, mm-hmm. is actually one of his works. But at the same time, he is he. Yeah, ineffably so. Yes. You can't subdivide and, him. But it was a work of God yes. to come yes. in human flesh, wasn't it? Yeah. That um, whole thing of the incarnation of Jesus becoming one of us mm-hmm. was actually a work of God. It was an, an initiative of God that was planned and took place. And, yeah. it, and, it, and he is, in terms of the... Um, understanding of in a position in a family the firstborn always had the inherited the whole estate didn't they yeah and the others just got the scraps yeah jesus is the firstborn he's the he's the one who inherits everything yes and we tread carefully on purpose because we know how important these discussions so are to history, haven't they? I do and not want to. We don't want to be accidentally perpetrating one blasphemy. whisper of heresy out of my mouth. No, but at the same time, there it is. You know, yeah. the beginning of God's creation is a completely fair and probably perfectly the only right way of reading that Greek in English. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just important that we see it for what it is. But we do affirm that he is the uncreated one he is the son of the eternal father and is therefore not a created being. He didn't get created in the same way we did. He yeah. is 
absolutely we affirm all the historical truths about Jesus the Son. Yeah. So then he goes on to say, he says, I know your works, you're neither hot nor cold, mm-hmm. or sorry, other way around, neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. Ouch. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat with down with my father on his throne. Mm. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Boom. Talk to us about Laodicea, Pete. What's the deal going on here with the all right. hot and cold business? Well, like I said, we tend to all see ourselves as the Laodiceans. We know what it means to be lukewarm. We mm-hmm. feel it very acutely and we get that it's something that God isn't pleased with. Mm-hmm. There is a long-standing error that's been out there for a while, which is where God says, I wish you were either good or bad. You know, I'd rather have you disobedient and evil because I know what to do with them. And I'd rather have you good and blessed, but it's in the middle. I can't cope with. That is a bad reading. That's not of what this he's text. saying. No, all. not at all. No. Um, Laodicea is a situated city in, in Western Turkey or what we now call Western Turkey. is fed by two main aqueducts. One of them brings volcanic hot water into the city and the other one brings cold, fresh mountain spring water obviously those are both good mm-hmm. you know the hot water is good for baths it's good for therapy it's it's nice it's refreshing in a sort of very calm way you know it fills the bathhouse and gives us warm swimming pool water mm-hmm. and we're all very pleased with hot water and some christians are that way they are soothing they are therapeutic they are good news in a warm and you know um bathhousey kind of a way god loves that jesus loves it some Christians are refreshing in a mountain spring water kind of way. You know, we, we nourish and we revivify mm-hmm. and we bring that kind of refreshing, cool, clean grasp of the truth. Right. And God and Jesus, they're just so pleased with that. There's a recognition of the different character of the living water because it manifests in different ways in different people. But the point is, if you want to be one with God, you've got to be drunken. You've got to be drunk down by Jesus. And it's like, if I eat something or drink something, it becomes part of my nature, doesn't it? If I eat a steak, Mm -hmm. my body metabolizes all the proteins and sort of incorporates them into my body. And I think this is what he's describing. So it was like, if you're hot, lovely green tea, I'll drink you down and you'll become incorporated into me as I drink you. And if you're refreshing, cool mountain spring water, I'll drink you in and you'll be refreshing me and you'll be quenching my thirst and that'll be great too. Mm. But it's that puddle of slightly (laughs) warm 
kind of bacteria-ridden water that he's going to drink, and actually his body will reject it because mm-hmm. it's lost its its ability to to be recognised by the body as good. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just the lukewarm that's the problem here. He says elsewhere about people who have abandoned the teaching completely and people who are you know made a clear deal against God, and that's not who he's talking to. He's talking to Christians. And even in amongst our different flavours, if you like, or different mm. kind of ways of doing things, there's still a way in which we can lose our quality. It's mm. like Jesus says about salt. If the salt loses its saltiness, it's sort of stuck, isn't it? It's got that same feel to it, hasn't it? It's yeah. like something to be no longer considered useful, but it's mm. going to be chucked out. It's actually fit for nothing but to hard be to even imagine what salt yeah. it is and salty and when a pond is all green is, and stagnant yeah. and stuff you don't bath in it and you don't drink from it no it's that way and so the the error they've made is that they are earthly prosperous mm. but they are spiritually completely yeah completely hamstrung by so it would inactivity. seem then to for verse 17 for you say i am rich i've prospered i mm-hmm. need nothing yep without realising that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked, is is somehow they've come to value things that God does not value in the same sense we were talking just a minute ago about the building out of the wrong kind of materials that have no eternal value. And they've come to put their confidence in external riches, Mm. this kind of worldly wealth and so on. and. God is saying actually you're valuing the wrong things actually you're completely naked this is what you need to do yeah. you need to come to me Start now over and buy something yes so he says I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich mm-hmm. and white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may to not may not be seen and so he's talking surely here about I mean fine linen white linen is somewhere else in the in Revelation interpreted yeah. is the righteous acts of the saints. That's so right, people yeah, who are up. intentionally living a godly life and mm-hmm. keeping themselves themselves kind pure. of clean and and yeah. in, you know spiritually morally pure. Um, but also this gold, they've come to realise what God values and mm. so they they've put their investment in that rather yeah. than the shabby wealth of this world. It's the exact opposite of what we read last session on Smyrna. Because Smyrna, mm-hmm. they said, oh, I'm very poor. But Jesus said, no, you're very rich. You know, you've got the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. Brilliant. You're doing really, really good. It's just that on earth, you're suffering for a while. Mm-hmm. And the Laodiceans are saying, God loves me and thinks I'm great. How else would you explain this Ferrari? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> well, there are ways. Yeah. And here is one way. You have become so turgid and mm-hmm. lazy and, yeah. and weak and poor spiritually that your earthly wealth is of no value to you. Yeah. And you've become sort of corrupted and bacteria laden. Mm. And that's what makes me want to spew you out. You're in big, big danger. But listen yeah. to this. Those who I love, I reprove and discipline. Mm. He does actually love them. This and is redemptive. This is. this rebuke is re- redemptive, yeah. isn't it? And it is a stinging rebuke. Yeah. And we should definitely see that for what it is. But he loves them and he reproves them and he's disciplining them. And he's saying, look, here's my invitation. Bang, bang, bang. This mm-hmm. is your door I'm banging on. Come and let me yeah. in and we'll sort this out. And it, it has the same flavour as, I don't know if you know the prophecy of Amos well, but... God's or the early chapters of Isaiah as well. God's like, come, let us reason together. Yeah. Come on, I will, I will sort this out. You know, yeah. your sins are red like scarlet, but I'll make It'll them white, white like wool. Yeah. And 
He's saying, I will come in and, and do it. And uh, some people get ever so upset about this passage. You ever heard anyone get upset about this passage? Uh, I've heard preachers before and they say, oh, evangelists use this wrong. Have you ever heard that? No. So some evangelists oh, say... about knocking at the door. Yeah. Right. Jesus is knocking on the door of everyone's heart. Let him in. And mm. once you've let him in, you'll be saved. And other people get upset about it. And they're like, no, no, this isn't Jesus knocking on the door of the unbeliever. This is Jesus knocking on the door of the church. And it's really mm. important that we see that. I, I'm flexible. I think that it's a good it's a good picture to say Jesus is knocking on the door and wants in. Yeah. And he has actually given us a real choice to keep the door shut. Yeah. Or to let him in. That is, I, th- I think that's such a profound truth, isn't it? That although God opens the door, no one can shut. And mm-hmm. all of that that we were just talking about. There is this sense in which God gives, he never takes away our right to choose him. And it is a real choice. It is funny because I have experienced God kicking a door down in my heart. You know, I've, mm. I've felt what it's like for him to barge his way in, possibly uninvited, and to say, by the way, I bought this house. It's mine. Yeah. And I will live in it. Even I if you, deeds. <laughs> even if you're grumpy about it, I will have you. Your yeah. heart and your mind shall belong to me. And I've got some changes to make around here. And I think that is part of love in a way that maybe Western culture has lost any appreciation mm. for. But this invitation here is, by the way, it's not over. You yeah. might think you've burned your bridges and ended the relationship, but it's not over. Love it. So if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, and in fact, it it chimes in so well with the ending, the sign off of each of these letters Mm. where it says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Yeah. And it's still, God is still looking for our voluntary cooperation with his purposes, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Where we put our will under his will. Yeah. So he says, "I'll, I'll, I'll come in. To him and eat with him and he with me. Mm-hmm. And that's incredible. And then this promise, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As ah! I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. I mean, yes. how outlandish, how extravagant is that of God? So much. You know, to be able to be rebuking people in one breath and saying, but look what you could win. Look what, mm. look what they're, look what I'm inviting you into. This is why I want this sorted out, so you can sh- share in this with me. Yeah, yeah. Awesome! Wow, what an <laughs> what an incredible chapter. Mm. Thanks, Pete. Hey, thank you. And thank you, Jesus, and bless us and watch over us as we carry on with this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.